Hey guys, and welcome to episode four of the Judo Talk podcast. Judo Talk, Talk, Judo Talk. Hey everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of the Judo Talk podcast and this week I'm going to be talking to Joe Crowley. Now it's really I really want to make sure that these podcasts are different they're not all the same and I think Joe has a really interesting and diverse involvement in judo. Um, so Joe is personal coach to world, double world medalist Nakoda Davis and head coach of Ealing Judo Club in London. Um, but she also has a background in theatre, in education, um, and she works with the IJF's media team. And I think it's a really nice little insight into her involvement in judo as a, as a mother, a judo coach, a writer, a woman. And I really enjoyed the chat. And the the thing with these podcasts is you can always, I feel like we can go on for a long, long time talking in more detail about lots more things, but I sort of don't want to use all of the podcasts up as well. So with all of these podcasts, I think there's definitely potential to have them back on and we can talk about other subjects, but let's get into this one. As I said, I enjoyed this podcast. It's a really good one and uh, I'll speak to you guys on the other side. Hey guys, welcome to Judo Talk, and today my guest is Joe Crowley. Say hello, Joe. Hi. <laughs> oh, good. Right. The first bit's always the awkward bit, it's getting people in, in involved in the podcast, so that's done. Um, now, Joe, let's start off with a little bit of history, you know, around your judo. Obviously, we know you're a judo coach, but let's go, yeah, a little bit into that, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, I started judo at eight. I was lucky enough to start a really good club that was very close to my house. Um, so I had an Olympic medalist as my first coach, which is... Uh, pretty amazing. Um, Keith Remfrey, who was a gentle giant, a monster on the map, but um, actually just the most giggly, lovely man. Um, no longer with us, uh, rest in peace, but uh, a fantastic way to start my career. Did some judo casually there for a while at EYJ. Um, some of the older, older listeners might uh, remember EYJ from back in the day. It was a pretty busy, big club. Um, but during its decline, I then stopped judo and came back again and was at um, Willesden for a couple of years uh, where I actually trained a lot more seriously. And then I quit again, went into education <laughs> through uni, went traveling, came back and I was like, need to do something. Uh, what should I do? Oh, I'll go back to that judo thing. Went back to judo mm -hmm. and um, pretty much from then, um, I've just been a bit crazy on it. Um, I started back at High Wycombe and then moved on to Moberley, which is where I, where I started coaching at High Wycombe a little bit. Um, but my, my real coaching apprenticeship was with Basil at Moberley. Um, and that's where the story of coaching really begins. Yeah, so that's uh, so you started there, and then um, obviously you've got your own judo club now. Um, what what was the step from working uh, with it was Basil, wasn't yeah. it at Moberly? Yeah. So working with Basil to then taking the steps into running actually your own judo club. We had a row. We had a, a oh. <laughs> we had a mad row, uh, it, which is unfortunate seeing as we're really tight again now, but. Um, so we, we were running the club really successfully. I was very happy being Basil's deputy. Um, he's a, a fantastic coach. And more than that, actually, he's a fantastic mentor to the young people he works with. 
And, um, and actually, I suppose he mentored me through the start of my coaching career. Um, my own performance career wasn't anything to write home about. So um, having somebody really pushing me and coaching was fantastic. But then we had a row. We just had a massive row. It was it was huge. And he he sort of blew up and just said, if you if you ran your own club, you'd understand. And I just went, all right, then um, uh, I will. And I left. And within 10 days, I'd found a venue, sourced mats, moved them in, leafleted the whole of the local area. And I ran my first class 10 days after I left Mobley. Um, and I had 15 beginners from the local area and a couple of children from a school I was teaching at because I was a primary school teacher back then. And, uh, and that, that's where it started. One lesson a week, five o'clock on Thursdays. And um, it grew from there. Yeah, I think that's that's a really hard thing, isn't it? Where starting a judo club, I know when we started, you've got to start off with just a couple of people. Yeah, like most people think, oh, you just open up and everybody turns up, but it doesn't happen like that, does no, it? No, it doesn't. I suppose I, because I was a teacher, I had you know captive audience really in my school, so I had. Um, five of that first 15 were actually children that I'd either taught in school or taught at Moberly, but because they'd come from my school. So I didn't, I didn't take mm. any students with me, but they were already with me. Um, and uh, those five already had red belts and were beginning their judo journey. So having those five in the class actually really kick-started things. It meant that I wasn't starting from the very beginning with every single person in there. So I had 10 new ones and five old ones. Well, that made sense. So I had, you know, five pairs of beginners working with somebody who had a bit of experience and it, it started fairly naturally. But I do remember that very first session probably being one of the most nerve-wracking days ever. <laughs> Um, it was yeah. really, really weird knowing what to say. How do you introduce yourself? How do you prove to the parents you're the right person to, to have this venture? How do you make use of the space? And you're learning the whole time. You feel like a rabbit in the headlights, but you pick mm. it up. You pick it up fairly quickly. And it, it did run. It was, it was tough, but it ran. And, you know, we ended up expanding to nine sessions a week and, and online work. And where we are now is a very different situation. We, I think we're at about 120 members, um, which is fairly stable. And although we've lost licenses in this period, we've still got a really good, strong membership with some reasonable engagement. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so difficult, isn't it, when people walk into an established judo club to see the coach and how like they, they've got all of the sort of processes in place and everybody's familiar but how raw it is at the beginning I think that's one thing I remember looking back thinking oh I was so nervous on those first few classes you've got three or four kids you're hoping that it's a really good experience for them what are the parents thinking and whenever you get a new person into that new group it's not quite the same, is it, as when you get a new person into an experience, like an established it's, com class. it's completely different. And at the beginning, you've kind of got to take everything on yourself and you feel a massive responsibility to do it right. I wouldn't want to go back to the beginning ever again, um, <laughs> ever. I'm, I'm good. The momentum is, is fantastic. Um, but now you can use all your existing judoka. You have to do so much less, so much is automatic and it mm. just runs, it runs itself. And I actually remember back then thinking, what do I teach? Like it's all very well to teach judo, but 
judo is massive. And am I mm. teaching strength today or balance? Am I teaching a specific technique? Am I busting a muscle group? What am I doing in this session with this group of five to 13 year olds who've never touched judo before? What do you do to make sure that their journey starts really well and they've got a comprehensive grounding? Well, actually, it doesn't really matter as long as you teach well. It doesn't matter what you're delivering, but trying to make those decisions at the beginning as well. You're like racking your brain. Am I doing the right thing? Is Taitoshi really the right first throw? I don't even remember if I taught Taitoshi, but, <laughs> but just trying to come up with those decisions is really tough at the beginning. Whereas now you, you know, you've been coaching for 20 years and you just, yeah, the plans are there. You write things down, but it's just kind of in your head. You just deliver naturally. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Like I, I wrote a blog post about that actually um, a little while ago about what should be the first technique you should teach. And, and I was definitely thinking about when somebody walks into the class and it, it's a minefield, isn't it? Because there are just so many options. Do you start with your navels? Do you start with your tattoo wells? How does a coach at the beginning work those things out? I th- I think, yeah, it does. It, I don't think it really matters. I think it's about the style of teaching, the inclusion, the the comfort that you create, and the environment being wholly positive. So we teach a rolling program. We don't have like a specific set day for new beginners. So some clubs um, they invite people to begin termly. Some have a waiting list. Some just as you go. We're like a pay as you go in every sense. You can come. You pay your money. You can come every week. You can come once a month. You can come however works for you. Of course, we encourage attendance but that means people drop in at whatever is happening in that session so you know we'll we'll have people come and there'll be for some reason a mad class where you've got 40 on the mat and they're all really young and you've got a couple of people helping you coach obviously you need it for that kind of number and then you've got little Johnny walks through the door age six who's never seen judo before and he's hiding behind his dad's leg and dad doesn't know what to say and do actually we've become really good at just getting them on the map and once they go it doesn't matter what they're being taught it's the inclusiveness of the situation and all how the young ones buddy up with them and try and help them and and get them moving um i i honestly think the content of the session at the very beginning is so much less important than the environment yeah yeah i i i think you're right actually yeah i i we we have the same process in we try and get kids on the mat. I think that's really important. If they're interested, get them on and get them going. And I think it is easier now. The club's a bit more established, but definitely at the beginning, it was hard. And one of the things that I find hard, especially with the younger ones, is how to encourage that pathway into competition. Yeah. And I think the pathway into competition is really important because I think for kids, it's about... I think competition creates context and understanding. So when you teach your Taitoshi or your break for like they can learn the techniques, but they only really, really understand it when they lose. They have to apply it. You know, they have to apply it. Yeah. And how did you take your, your club from, from that position uh, as a beginner transitioning through to competitions? And well, it, I don't see, 99% of competitions are not competitions. They are training experiences that help you apply what you're learning in a class. And they put it in a different context, which is more applicable to contest judo, but it's just about learning to compete. It's not actually competing. They think they're competing, but my aim is to provide them with a framework that allows them to experience judo in every way they possibly can, 
It includes some competition. It includes some demonstration. It includes every child gets to teach something at some point. Um, there's a whole variety of contexts. And I think putting too much emphasis on this being a competition where there is winning and losing, I really believe in winning and losing, by the way. I'm not one of those people who thinks, oh, we shouldn't have them competing too young. Now stuff that. They should be competing from day one but it should be part of their training process, getting better at the sport, learning to understand the different facets of the sport. So we have them in our little club beginners competitions almost from day one. I'll have children come in. If we happen to have a competition running at the club three weeks later, they'll do it. I will encourage them to do it straight away. We give them a framework, we keep it safe. I make sure that our young referees are looking after the participants. Parents are encouraged to cheer and take photos. And we're really hot on the environment, staying positive. I won't allow a parent, a family member, or even a bad loser on the mat. It's just not acceptable. And I think everyone understands that kind of positivity in the environment straight away. It's just what we expect. We set the expectation early and they live by it. Um, so yeah, competition is a training tool at that level. I mean, how many real competitions are there in the year? Maybe the British National Championships, we could probably call a target event for most of our cadets or pre-cadets. Um, we could probably call the senior trials a competition for our seniors. But is the London Open or the Welsh Open, is that a competition or is that a training event to get ready for the actual competition? Depends how you view it. And I see most competitions in the year as training tools. I want to give them feedback. I want them to practice using a referee. I want them to practice analyzing a referee. Like we all know on the circuit that there's some referees who are really hot on the penalties at the edge. There are others who will be looking for passivity way within that 45 second margin. There, we, we learn to analyze the referees, analyze the other coaches, analyze what it looks like to be facing somebody who's really nervous or really confident. And so we're doing a lot of psychology as we go to just get familiar with and understand the competition environment. We set goals sometimes. There are times when I'll take players out to competitions and say, right, yeah, we're at a tournament, but actually I only want you throwing left today. And they look at you and they're like, but all my takui was is on the right. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, enjoy your left-handed day, have a, have a good time. And they're like, do I really have to do? Yes, yes, you do. Why? Um, because today doesn't matter. It's not a ranking event. It's just about you learning to apply things that you find a little bit uncomfortable. We want to branch out. We want to make sure that your judo is whole and complete. So let's do it as a target. Okay. And then you see them go off and they try things. They get thrown or they win. Doesn't matter. Um, and then we've got a massive amount of feedback to wade through. And I love that process. That for me is the, the real root of a, a process of development. Um, so for me, competitions are a tool. There's something that's really useful in order to expand somebody's judo knowledge and experience. Yeah, that's interesting. You say, obviously, uh, giving them targets for the day and stuff. And but how do you manage the, the parents in that situation as well, uh, as well as the children? Because obviously... I know when I was younger, somebody said, I want you to do this. And I thought I was going to, I would want a win all the time. And I know generally children, most children at end competitions, they want to enter and they, they want to do well. So how do you manage their expectation as well as their parents? Because sometimes parents wouldn't 
take nicely to that if you if if they feel like you're putting their kid at a disadvantage yeah. at that point um the, well the first thing is the parent isn't on the map um the second thing is the parent isn't the coach so with both of those things in mind the parents play a massive important role they're the funding they're the taxi um they are the support off the map they're generally the nutrition um, they are everything else that is not on the mat judo. And I really want them to embrace that, to understand that it's their job to bring a child to the competition who's had a great night's sleep, had a perfect breakfast, who is hydrated and who's feeling really positive about their day because of the conversations they've had with the parent. They're, they play an integral role, but their role is not to coach and their role is also not to judge the way that I want to develop their player and I think I've become a lot more confident with that as I've coached for longer back in the day I'd have felt really nervous of doing something that might upset a parent in that way and I'd, I'd have wanted to justify myself but actually now I feel I'm backed up by record by the proof of the pudding by the number of players that we've got coming through and how happy the players are with the process so I think that the parents are encouraged at the club to take that lead from us as coaches, but also from their own children. If their child's happy with that process and understands that it's a really long-term project, then the parent can usually relax. So I haven't had massive problems with it, to be, to be honest. And did you have to go through sort of any pre-framing with the parents with events or was it just the fact that that's what you do and they'll eventually find out? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. But again, that depends on the parent. So if you've got a parent who's really, um, really open with you, you've got great engagement, they understand your processes, you always talk together at events and at lessons, then no problem. If you've got a parent who probably isn't around as much, maybe parents who work a lot and don't manage to be at the lessons, don't manage to hear the speeches at the start and end of sessions. Um, maybe they need a little bit more help just to understand the context. Um, but I want to support them to be able to support their child. So I don't want it to be a clash or a confrontation. I want to explain my theories and then just reinforce that I'm the coach and the child is happy. And as long as those things are understood, then that parent should come on board. And I honestly, I don't really re recall any kind of negative um, situation. Hmm. Well, I don't think, so I've, I've not really had negative situations, but I've definitely had parents um, that have decided to send me emails questioning why I do certain things or, you know, maybe saying at a different club, they might do this. And, you know, it's all very friendly, but, you know, they're, they're almost questioning what the process is. So I remember when I was a lot younger, when I was coaching, I would just get offended and like, just, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> deal with it that well. But I resorted to basically whatever their question was, whatever their theory was, is I would write the longest email you could ever imagine with like loads of facts, loads of papers, loads of evidence and support and stuff. And I'd send that to them as a reply. And then I might get one or two back in there. But every single time they replied, I'd just send back every single thing I had on it. And I found that actually they stopped messaging me. And I would like over communicate what I was doing. <laughs> and then it sort of, they left me alone a little bit. That definitely works for me. Yeah, I think I've, I've had some messages, possibly messages, emails, um, but really they've been dealt with. You know, I might have lost players because of it. I might have had parents disgruntled and take their player out, but that's okay too. Um, I, I think 
we, we have to remember that players choose coaches, players choose clubs. It's not the other way around. So mm. we're always going to work differently. Um, I, I can accept really positive, hardworking coach. You have your areas of expertise. You had Darren Warner on. I listened to that podcast. He's a fantastic coach and he's worked with some players that I've worked with. We've had a crossover. Amazing coach. We do things differently. We have different philosophies and slightly different values. Um, and that's absolutely fine. He's right. I'm right. You're right. And we all run our clubs and our players in a successful and positive way. If it doesn't work for everybody, that's absolutely fine. If my players are going to find it much more positive working at a different club in a different way, no problem. Off you go. It's, um, it, you can go with my blessing. Um, mm. I think it's all about communication and finding the right coaching methods that work for you as a player. And if, uh, if players come through my door and their parents aren't happy, then we have to work out whether the player is or not and stay or go. It's, it's not an issue, but now I'm in, the, in a position where I really do feel comfortable with my coaching methods. I'm very happy with where I'm going. I don't feel finished. I'm learning all the time. I was discussing with some of my players recently how my, for example, views on weight control have changed through, through the years. Things change. I'm doing an online psychology course at the moment. It's only a, a one day thing. It's, it's very quick, just a few modules. Um, but everything I look at and learn from, I'm willing to change my ideas. And maybe if I'd have had a player that left five years ago, if they came now, I might be in a better position to support them. Um, mm. But I, I can really accept that there are a lot of good coaches out there and not all of us will fit every player. And that's absolutely fine. Yeah, and that's definitely an extremely mature way of looking at it as well. And I think it's difficult as a coach because you invest, as a coach, you invest your time, your energy, isn't it? And you, you build many relationships with the children or the players, whatever athlete you're working with. And it is difficult to have that approach to say, OK, well, obviously, we're not a right fit. Please move on. You know, I, I want you to go on because you, you still have to justify you care about them and that's the best thing for them, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's hard I, not to just think, take it personally. I don't think it happens often on the line. I think it's more earlier on. So if, if parents or children aren't happy from you know, right at the beginning, before they've even got a yellow belt on, then it is likely that they're going to move on. And, and that's absolutely fine. Now with a player who you've worked with for seven or eight years, that becomes different because you are invested. You have an emotional connection with them. How can you not when you're working in a physical sport and with the highs and lows of competition slash training events? Um, but, you know, you do the travel with them. You, you expose them to things that they wouldn't get in their normal daily life. And so there is an emotional connection. If somebody who's been with you a long time chooses to move on, that can be really, really hard. If it's done in the right way, then you have to accept it and be heartbroken, but support them. Um, if it's done in a negative way, then things can, can be a little bit more difficult to handle. But there haven't been many of those over the years. Mm. Um, so I'm quite happy that I've mostly done the most, I've mostly done most of the right things for most of the judoka. So I'm okay yeah. with that. Um, those odds are all right for me. Mm. Yeah, I, you can only you can only do what you know at the time. You know what I mean? It's that experience that comes in. And I guess 
with your experience, how much, so you've obviously taken your club, you've progressed the players, but you've also, you've also furthered your education within coaching. So you, um, you were one of the first people on the um, level four and level five British judo. Yes, um, yeah, for sure. You know what? I still can't even remember what it's called, even though we've done Advanced it. Advanced sports coaching practice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure on assignments I was still putting the wrong name down for for like the whole time I was Being doing it. Being a good it. coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying your best. <laughs> so how was that experience for you? Um I know I really enjoy it, but how because you had been to university, you were you had obviously done education at that point. How much did that help your coaching process? Um loads. Or did it not? Loads. No, it really did. It but I find every experience where I'm open to it. Um, so I, th I think about, I mean, it's, there are, there are elements of, of, you've heard of Ericsson and the 10,000 mm -hmm. hours of dedicated practice. And then I think about Boyle and others who've written about talent ID and coaching processes. And I've done quite a bit of that sort of reading. And, and I think it's really, um, I think it's really important to understand that if I'm open to learning how to coach better, that is my version of dedicated practice. So I might not be doing an Uchimata on the mat a thousand times a day, but if my mind is open and I really want to grow as a coach, then that is my version and I'm doing dedicated practice. So I seek that at all times, whenever I possibly can. So I did the foundation degree at Bath University now 13 years ago, um, which was run with the EJU. Um, I did the fast track coaches program, which was, I think, I think Luke was on that. Um, I think Luke Preston was on that as well. And we did, um, we did a whole year of odd weekends with Patrick Rue and through British judo. And that was to enhance our on the mat skills. So we really were looking at balance and we were looking at judo techniques and I'd never had that kind of coaching before. I just hadn't been in that kind of detailed coaching environment. That was amazing. And I think we finished that in 2008 as well. Um, and then I did the level four with you. Um, and then the level five, I actually deferred the level five for a year and then came back to it. Um, but I'm still doing those things. So at the moment I'm enrolled on a, on a program to get my PT qualification, a fitness instructor level two and then PT, because I think it can only enhance my coaching. Um, and I just keep going, trying to learn more and more things. I think back in the day, back 13 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I was probably seeking validation just to back myself up because I wasn't particularly confident with it. But now it really is about learning to coach better, having more information at my fingertips, um, being able to, to evidence and justify the way I'm working, even when I'm being innovative. If I'm being creative in classes, then I can kind of justify it because I've got all these letters after my name and bits of paper that say that I'm, I'm okay to explore that way. I love education in, in judo and in coaching. And I, I think it's, um, I think there's only a small percentage of us who are out there willing to do that. Um, and whether it's because it's part-time and it's village hall coaching or because people are worried about maybe admitting that they're a little bit insecure in their position, I'm, I'm not sure what the various reasons are, but I think, being open to education is the only way we get to move forward. I'm really interested. Sophie Cox was on um, that course with us. She's now delivering a lot online. You're delivering online. I'm delivering online. 
Darren Warner was with us as one of those level four, level five coaches. And he's now the CEO of Welsh Judo and is working with an Olympian. And, you know, there's a whole range of, from a very small number of people, there's a very large percentage who are still out here working even during a pandemic. Um, whereas most other people who haven't experienced education at that kind of level have chosen not to step forward into, into this period. And I'm just interested by that correlation. Um, there's a huge number of us. I look at Charlotte Potter and Paula Jala, both now coaching, doing bits for British Judo as well as running their own clubs. They're recording things, they're putting things online, they're opening up their sessions to people. They've only just completed their level threes. Um, mm. But this is all the same thing. People who are willing to be open and, and enhance their education as coaches are the ones who are out here stepping forward, really providing some form of education, coaching, um, judo content during a really, really challenging time. Um, and I think there has to be some sort of correlation there. Well, I guess a little bit in mindset. I think you've got to be willing. I think it comes down to you've got to be willing to fail. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, th I think you've got to accept that because I know when I started doing putting stuff online, it, I, wasn't, I, w I wasn't really doing anything. I wasn't doing it for anybody except for myself, you know, and the kids that I work with, I just put stuff on to sort of help them and we could go over and look. It wasn't really to serve a purpose other than, you know, that's what we were doing. Um, and I know with the uh, masters, uh, the, the whole course that we went through, that was a really strange one for me. And it was one of those that I sort of agreed to do it and asked to do it before I realized any of the real implications of it, because I literally left school, went straight into full-time judo so and had yeah, had no education uh, apart from my GCSEs, which I, you know, which I barely got, yeah. you know, to then step into a postgrad. And I didn't have a clue what it was about. I had no idea what I a really took my hat off to like. you and a few others who were on the course in a similar um, context. I really took my hat off you, for you because I, I've been through education. So even without the coaching qualifications, I was a school teacher. So I have my degree mm. and I had my postgrad. Um, and I, I wasn't afraid of education um, and I had the skills. I, I knew how to reference things. I could, I could go and search for evidence and put it in in the right way. So writing up, um, writing up the um, assignments wasn't too tough. Um, mm. Getting the information together and doing the reading was and juggling my time was, but actually writing the assignments wasn't that horrendous. And I remember thinking, how are these guys doing it who have never been through education? This is, this is hardcore. <laughs> Well, that, that was actually one of the things, because I remember I um, that first assignment. Well, I'm still not really sure I know how to reference now, because <laughs> I know the university used a crazy one, which I couldn't really. It was almost like throwing like darts at words, like to try and get a <laughs> reference in, in position. Was it just APA or New Zealand APA <laughs> or something? No idea. Yeah. I still don't even know. I couldn't even remember the name of the course, but <laughs> I remember submitting my first bit of work and I found the actual research and stuff like that really interesting. I found the 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 knowledge side of it, getting the information really interesting, really e not easy, but it was enjoyable for me. And I submitted my first piece of work and I got the results back from it. And I was like really annoyed because I didn't know what the pass mark was. Yeah. So I went for, I think it was about two or three months until I had a meeting with one of the tutors thinking that I'd failed my first assignment. 
yeah. which I hadn't. I'd passed it fine, right? but I didn't know the scoring. Yeah. Because I just didn't have a clue. Just I think they also and... changed. I think university mark schemes changed partway through our course or just after the postgrad before the master's. So when I did university, God, way back, 98 or something, um, I, I remember the mark scheme was always pass mark is 40%. To get a first is 70%. Anything in between, no problem at all, you've passed. Um, and so for our first couple of years on the postgrad that we did, getting a, getting a 43% might sound horrendous, but actually you've passed just. But then mm. they changed it, and now university pass marks are 50%. So, oh, right. okay. so on, on my really bad, really bad days when I've submitted something just to scrape through and move on, um, if I'd have got a 43, I'd have actually failed later on in the course but cool yeah so I only knew that from then I didn't know that from our course <laughs> no well there's still lots I don't know <laughs> but yeah no I think I think that's most probably it isn't it I think in duo I think if we could have a culture of especially within coaching accepting that maybe we don't know everything and but we're willing to have a go I think it would be more people would be willing to to put stuff out there but I think as well it's also time and you know, as you said, some people are just doing it as a after work activity. Definitely. You know, they can't necessarily do that. So it's difficult to say one way or another. But I think the more people that do go down the line of putting themselves out and doing, you know, the videos or not, whatever their thing would be, you know, like you're really good at writing, you know, and Thanks. the stuff that you do for the EJ, uh, IGF and stuff is really, really good. And I think some coaches will be good at writing, some coaches will be, I think any content that's released with judo is good, it's a positive. And the more people just go, oh, I can do this, let's do this. Yeah, elicit discussion. Um, yeah, that's, that's really important as well. But I think confidence is just a huge, huge part of it. Certainly for me, it really, really has been. I am no longer afraid to fail. I don't want to, but I'm no longer afraid to fail. Um, I feel like I can back myself up if I have a bad day, if I put something out that doesn't really work for people. It's okay. It's all right. I had a go. At least they will have had a go to discover that it didn't work. That's, mm. you know, that's, that's somebody getting their feet on a mat or, or trying something that they haven't tried before. I, I'm a big fan of just get out and move your body. Even if it's really rubbish judo, just go and do something to move your body. Don't sit on your sofa all day thinking about coming back to Randori. That really isn't everything. Um, I've learned so much about different kinds of delivery. I'm, I feel like I will be a, a hundred times better as a coach when we do get back to the mats. Um, I will be far more comprehensive. Looking at people on these screens, you know, you, you can see mm. some stuff really, really close up. You can study. They can study you. You're not hiding behind somebody else. You haven't got 15 other children between you and the person who's trying to look at you. You're just there on screen. And it makes me very conscious, very aware of how I hold myself, um, how I look on camera. I should want to look like that in front of my class at the club. I should want to be pristine. You know, this morning even, I wasn't sure if you were going to record the video or not. There's a tiny bit of mascara on there, just a little bit, just in case. I didn't <laughs> want my eyes to disappear on screen. I think those details of presentation are actually really important and they show value to the people that you're delivering to. Um, mm. And I, I feel much better equipped to go back to my normal coaching life if ever we get there. And if we don't, 
I feel okay to carry on like this and I'll keep adapting to make sure that what we're doing now is suitable for people. It's what they want. It can help them to develop physically or with judo or whatever. I, I feel happy that we can, we had this opportunity to enhance our skill set. Yeah, it, it's a strange one, isn't it? It's not... This has been easily one of the hardest years of my life in, in regards to coaching and yeah. stuff. But there's also been lots of opportunities from it. You know, there's lots of learning lot about myself, about my coaching, about the business, because we do run our judo club as a business. And it, it definitely has changed my priorities. Do you think it's, there's say, because none of us would have wished this to happen Definitely. before like no you know when we were all I think it was something like the British schools was like the last competition yeah. before we went all into lockdown I know we were talking about what's going to happen most people were thinking it would be a few months some people maybe a little bit longer but no way did we think a year later we'd still be in this situation yeah has your opinion changed on how you're going to go back to so say we do I think I think we will go back to you know proper judo full contact you know I think we will I think things will open up again do you think you'll go back to the same sort of routine are you have you decided that you're going to do something different you know where where do you lie now as a coach and running your club and Um, moving forward honestly I think I've um I think I've gone both ways so there, there are a whole range of things that I think I've become more tolerant about this has been hard this has been really hard um some people have really struggled to get to grips with anything um, in psychological terms. They, they really just haven't been able to access things. And I've, I've felt so bad for some of the families who just, they haven't got the space to train at home. They're not really allowed outside for half of this year. Um, how on earth do they access it? And they've given up. And I feel bad for them. On the other side, I've got others who have been so engaged and so communicative the whole way through them, their parents, um, some of my seniors, we've been sharing some online sessions. And I really feel inclined to support those who have supported A themselves, but also supported the club. And there's, Mm -hmm. I think it's not about loyalty, it's about commitment. And those are two different things. And I feel that there's, there's a whole group of people who have come onto sessions, trained on a weekly basis. I know from evidence I've seen either online or from messages from parents or from themselves that they're training every day, they're, they're keeping themselves healthy. And not just because they want to win a competition that might happen at some point over the next 12 months, two years, depending on when the world reopens, but they're training because they love judo and because they they internally really just want to be better at it and develop themselves. There's this intrinsic motivation. And I've gone through a crazy period of learning about my own intrinsic motivation in this year. And I think that I'm more inclined to support those people now, um, rather than always looking at how I can retain everyone. And I've always tried to be all things to all people at my club, um, which I suppose is the right way if you're running a club but I think I have to run it slightly differently from here on out because those with that internal commitment to self-improvement and to sport and to judo, those are the ones that that kind of, they've earned the right to be coached really well. And, and I want to engage with them and see how far they want to go rather than 
using my time and spreading it thinly across everything, I think I've, I'm going to refine things and be a lot more focused on those who commit. Mm. And how's it been? Obviously, I think you've got about how many children? 20 children? Yeah, I've got, I've got 178 <laughs> children at home. Yeah, I have. Well, so you've got a big family and this must have been quite tough. I know um, the boys, do, do all of them do Yeah, judo? all of them, all four. All four do judo. So this must have been quite tough at home as well because I know like, I love throwing people and it's not being like it's yeah. difficult is it like you're doing judo since you're five and then all of a sudden people are saying well you can't throw people anymore it's quite a difficult thing to get your head around yeah. what's it like as because not only you're a coach you are a mum of four children yeah. who've done judo they've all got different needs yep. they're all at different stages of their judo they really are How, how's that been uh the oldest luke um lots of people know him anyway um he's been competing at a decent level for a while um he's on the british team and he has been champing at the bit just to grab a guy and chuck him um that's mm. he's 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 dying here just to throw people but to his credit, he has trained almost every day throughout in some way. Um, we've also done a lot of family time where we're walking, cycling together. Um, he and I threw, there was a period where we could go to BJJ together. And so we've been training in jujitsu together. We've been each other's training partner. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, and the gym that we go to for BJJ, um, although they had to do lots of solo drill sessions, because Luke and I went together, we could do the work together. So we could get some mm. sparring in, albeit with each other. So it's been quite nice for us with our relationship to train together. We do kettlebells together a couple of times a week. Um, we all cycle together now and again, and we do family walks a couple of times a week as well. Um, so I think, I don't know, they, I don't know whether they're lucky or whether they have been absolutely God forsaken, but they live with their coach, not just their mum. Mm. So we've been really on point with our nutrition the whole way through from for a whole year. We've been really good. Um, we do mostly home cooking takeaway once in a while, but we're mostly home cooking. We're training or at least moving, exercising every day. And we're keeping in touch with judo because I have four children. Yes, it's hard, but that means that they can do judo together. So there have been bits, you know, Peter doesn't like being thrown around by Luke who has gone up three weight groups in lockdown. Um, and I don't mean he's gone up three weight groups that way. I mean, like he's massive. So he fought his last events at 55 kilos and he's weighing in at about 68, 69 now. Mm, so he's into, right, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's somewhere between 66 and 73, probably a 73 by the time we come back. Um, and Peter's only 50 kilos still, but, um, but yeah, they can train and as you can see um behind me uh we are in the shed so over the summer i got fed up with not having access to mats and being able to actually train so we built an enormous shed and we now have a small dojo in the garden which is fantastic it's just changed our lives so actually yeah being a mum and being a coach have worked well together i think for our family life it's it's provided us with some structure and a through line um, we train we eat well every day and are they all as keen as each other or so because obviously 
Well, I've got Eric, who's five. He's just started. He's done his first little show grading. Yeah. George, George is nearly four. He does a bit. So we're on a Saturday. We do like a family Zoom class. Um, yeah. So they'll do the session with with us on the first one, and then how do you manage? Because I, I imagine they've all got different characters. I know they my have. boys are completely different, yeah. and ha- they'll all have different wants and engagement levels how do you manage that through because obviously you love judo I love judo and I want the my children to have that same passion for it but I imagine it's going to be quite a minefield yeah but I I, I don't know maybe maybe the same idea of having this open mindset to being able to change maybe that's transferred into parenting or, or maybe it's come from parenting I don't know but I'm I'm really happy that my four children are really different which means I haven't squeezed them into a box and I'm, I'm happy about that. So Luke loves judo. Peter loves competing in judo um, mm. or, or throwing people in judo. He, he loves randori and he, he just, he loves grabbing a guy and just getting some throws in. Um, he likes flamboyant things. Luke's much more considered. He understands how all this other training fits into his judo. So he's happy to come and do a weight session with me in the shed. Um, he's happy to, if I tell him that you have to go for a run at some point this week, he, oh, okay, I'll go for a run. If I say to Peter, you need to go for a run, he's like, no, not doing it. Um, and okay, that's the end of the conversation. Ellis, number three, he, he, he's not that big a fan of judo, to be honest. He knows that he'll be absolutely forced to get his black belt before he quits. He might become a coach at some point, but he's not that big a fan. He doesn't love competing. Um, he's just in it with the family. And Robin's still undecided, I think. My little girl, she's um, she's 11 this weekend coming. She's just got into online kickboxing. So she can still do martial arts. And she and Luke, actually, they're both doing it. They've elected to do it. Um, and it's with our BJJ gym, Premier. Um, so we're all at the same place now. So me and Luke do... Um, jiu-jitsu there and Robin and Luke do kickboxing there um, they did an online grading this week and so they've got access to martial arts so the discipline's mm. still there and the focus on what you can do with your body in relation to another person's body all of that's still there yes it's not grappling and it's not throwing a guy but um, but that's there I, I think they're I think I'm pretty open with them. I make them all move, but they don't all have to do judo all of the time. It's their choice. They're, they're entitled to their choice. It's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously we're extremely biased, but totally. the, way I look, the way I look at judo, the skills that you learn, no matter what sport you want to do, judo will have a benefit to it. Yeah. No matter like the mindset about being able to to stand in front of somebody and try and throw them around the room, that mindset, try, like there's so many good elements to judo and I'm not necessarily bothered whether the boys go into elite competition or anything like that, but I am bothered about them committing, doing their training, working having hard. Discipline, Deve- having discipline. Po- exactly, having developing posture. the skills. You, having a yeah. posture to look after your body for the rest of your life. Um, mm. I think the transferable skills are just immense and it's probably one of the things that Ellis who's not that big a fan he can see so when I say to him well, you've got to stay until you get your black belt he says yeah yeah, yeah I get that that's, that's alright no problem he knows he needs to complete something and he needs to show commitment and be disciplined he also understands it will look nice on a university application yes he's a black belt in something um, and that, that works for him so there's a whole range of things that that I think judo brings them. It also brings them a community. 
Um, so they really understand that community. I mean, they've been passed around since they were babies. They, if if somebody if somebody is um, missing or unwell from judo, it, they feel it. If when new people join, they welcome them into their their community, into their family. We lost somebody from our community um, this week, and all of us are are feeling bereaved. All of us, um, and it's it's a family member of one of our judo families it's not even somebody on the map but mm. we all feel it because it's our community and my children definitely have benefited massively from that community they are comfortable in human beings company no matter where they are no matter what context they've traveled with judo they've eaten different foods with judo they use currency they they can communicate without language being the primary tool they they have learned so much from just being in this sport um, and they're confident and they hold themselves well and they mostly good mannered in, in public they're, and that comes from being in judo not just from parenting and, and the rest of life and how they handle themselves in public situations is far far in advance of what I see their school friends doing it's judo related and I, I know it is judo is just the most magnificent vehicle for building human beings yeah but we would say that, wouldn't we? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's taken me long enough to sort myself out, but at least I can accelerate it for the children. Yeah, yeah. And we, so with, uh, with your judo as well, sort of getting along the lines of how busy you are with the kids and that, but you also, you also write for the IJF as well, don't you? Yes, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, now I've read, I've read a good few of your articles now. And they're really, really good. I, I, I mean that as well. And I really enjoy the reading. It's something I wish I was better at, you know, the, the writing side of it. And I think um, I'll, I'll actually put some of the articles that you've written in the description of oh, this cool. podcast nice. as well. I think, well, I think people should read. I think they're really, really good. What Explain your role, what you actually do uh, for the IJF. I about. am a member of the media team. So um, my role can be diverse, but one of the things I do is proofread because the IJF is an international team and they come from countries all over the world. We have, we have members from every continent um, working in, in the IJF. So um, I now proofread articles to make sure that what um, people with English as a foreign language are producing is right for an English reading audience. The official language of the IJF is English, which is very, it's fortunate for me. Um, <laughs> so that, that's a big part of my role. But then I get to write articles on whatever I want to write articles about, which is a phenomenally um, honourable position to be in. I feel privileged to, to have that um, access I, I know that it's a big responsibility. So when I write something now and publish it, I am very, very aware that there could be thousands and thousands of people reading it all over the world and it needs to fit and be positive for all of them. Um, there's, it's not a best fit. I'm not trying to write articles to, to sit in a particular niche. I really need my stuff to hit home with everyone who's reading it and be a positive um, a positive face of judo. I love my sport and I value my sport and um, I want all the best bits of it to really be seen out there. So I write about things that I notice. 
Um, I don't try to write articles. I don't come up with an idea. You know, I don't sit at home and brainstorm ideas. Things hit me and then I write about them. So um, a best example of that is um, I was at the World Championships in Tokyo in 2019 and I wasn't yet actually properly working for the IJF. I was still sending them articles, contributing before I became a member of the team. And I found myself sat next to a judo mum in the Nippon Budokan. And she was every single emotion you can possibly imagine. Um, and she was, she's German. She's the mum of Pauline Stark, um, who is a light middleweight um, from Germany. And it was her first world championships. And this mum was going through absolute hell in, in the audience. And I wrote an article. Um, uh, it was about the unconditional support of parents who travel. Um, and I chatted to Eric Ham and his parents because his parents were there as well. And Eric mm. had a phenomenal day. I don't know if you remember, but he won through four rounds at the Worlds, which was unreal. Um, yeah. And I chatted to them. They, they go everywhere. In fact, I traveled with them um, to Russia in 2011, so 10 years ago. And they were back then supporting Eric. And here we were, you know, 10 years on, still supporting him. So ideas come to me and then I write about them and I sit back and I think about it and I draft and I read through and I almost write everything as a first draft. Most of what you read is as it was written. So mm. um, I think a lot and then I write. Um, but I, I love it. I have, I have the great honor to be in the company of some of the world's best judoka and best coaches and best organizers, the best referees. And if I want to get quotes or hear somebody's opinion, I just go and ask because I'm working in the same environment. I'm also unbelievably impressed by the quality of the people I'm working with in our, in our environment. It's such an amazing enabler to be working with people who really, really, really know their stuff. I think about um, Daniel Laskow, who for 10 months before the London Games was working with the British team. So we got to know him. He was also, he's also done, um, he was with me on the foundation degree in Bath all those years ago. Um, so I knew him from then as well. He is the most encyclopedic man of judo in, in the world. He's just incredible. Talk to him about any issue in judo, whether it be technical, historical, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And being around those people is inspiring the whole time. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which event I was at. I was at Tel Aviv um, the week before last and it was my first event for a year. And I spent the whole time grinning because not, not because I was pleased to be back at judo, but because I was back with those people again, who inspire mm. me to be better, who have so much experience. You know, one morning I'm on the running machine with Udo, who is double Olympic champion. And then the next day I'm running up and downstairs in the hotel with Neil Adams, who we all know, you know, whether it's from the voice of judo or being one of the referee supervisors on the IJF tour. And I'm running with these people or working with these people. And I just, I have to kind of pinch myself now and again and think, wow, this, this is my colleague group. This is my working environment. How, how lucky am I? I've worked very hard to get there, but it means that everything I write comes from a place of excitement and happiness. I'm, I'm joyous to be in this job. And I, it, I don't even consider it a job. It's, it's just wonderful to be able to work in my favorite sport with knowledgeable people who empower me to be better and better. And, and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I have no negatives. 
And is there is there any part of you that sort of this is going to sound like a really stupid thing? Notice that you're a woman. Okay, so um, what I'm trying to say then is like obviously you've said at points you've done stuff to almost validify your confidence in what you're doing and judo is still although competition element it's equal men equal women everybody has a good chance of it but it's still quite a male-dominated sport from coaching through to anything and how much does that come into your psyche when you're not just working with the IGF but just generally Uh, it used to a lot it it's now less of a concern it's still there, but I think we're on a much more natural path now where it's it's part of our daily life to continue to push women in com- combat sports. Um, I think it's accepted that we need to do more work in that area now. So we don't have to explain to people that work needs to be done. We now just explain what work needs to be done. So it's, it's happening. Um, I think things like the equal competition rights and times and money in um, elite sport is a massive tool for pushing that forward. Um, the IGF has the Gender, Gender Equity Committee um, Commission, sorry, which is now very active and making sure that women get noticed and credit where credit is due. Um, there's, there's a lot of really good stuff being done. And, and I think it's becoming a more inclusive environment for women. What's nice now is I don't think women are excluded. So there have been periods where certainly at the top, certainly in positions of authority, women have been excluded just as a matter of course. Probably not nastily, but it's just been a matter of course. Men do those jobs. Now that isn't the case. Lisa Allen is the first person on the executive of the IJF. We now have a woman in that position. We have a gender equity commission. We have equal rights and equal money for women on the tour. And that is the, the leading picture that people see with international judo. So there is an expectation. If you look at the French coaching team, the Japanese coaching team, two of the most successful judo nations, they're peppered with women. And, you know, we look at um, Sukada Maki was over in the UK for quite a while doing, doing judo for a year. Um, I don't know if she visited you at any point, but she came over to us at, at Ealing. She was at the Budokai for a while, learning English and studying coaching. Um, and she's now one of the coaches of the team. Um, Abe Uta is um, supported by Fukumi Sensei, who was world champion herself. Um, so we've got women in the Japanese team. That wasn't always the case. That's a really recent um, happening and really positive. Then you look at the French team from Lucy Decos onwards, you've got an absolutely outstanding coaching team, which is men, women, whoever's good for the role. Um, mm. And so these really high profile examples of women in positions that have been exclusively men in the past can only lead to more women feeling confident to have a go. Yeah, I mean, in Brazil now as well. Um, you can't, Rosie. Yeah, she was at Bath, wasn't she? She's, yeah, she was. Right. Um, she's the head coach for the men's team, isn't she? That's right. The yeah. men's team, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Rosie's you know, still think, with the women. Mm, yeah, which is great. And I think the only way we're going to get more women is by encouraging more girls into the sport. Yeah, it's a pyramid. How- it's a pyramid. How do we how do we get more girls into the sport? Because judo is, you know, it, it seems like a rough and tumble. It's something that we work on at our club to try and get more girls in. Yeah. Because 
I think it's really important. But how do you, what, you know, what is your thoughts on it? How do we get more girls involved? How do we, is it more women coaches? Is it, but. I think female coaches really helps. Um, Certainly at my club, I've never had an issue getting girls through the door. Um, But then I've only ever been a female coach. So I can't say how things would have been when I was a male coach. It's not, it's not something that's happened. So um, I think that's a tricky one for me because I am only me. Um, but I'm a head coach who is female and I've always had certainly, certainly looking at squads and things, my players that come through are easily 50, 50, if not, maybe a bit more female heavy. Um, and that's always been the case, really. Um, my most high profile players are, are women. Um, and I think it's, I, I think it's not an accident. I think they've enjoyed working with female coach and have therefore felt more comfortable to continue, or maybe they felt comfortable to come in the first place. Um, I, I think it's, uh, how, how do we get more girls in? I think we have to just keep spreading our wings and, and finding them. Um, Mm. girls like rough and tumble I don't think we have to be super gentle with them or encourage them in in a different way you know my daughter likes to roll around in in the lounge wrestling with the boys you know as much as anybody else does maybe we need to stop treating girls a little bit with kid gloves and be a little bit more equal which is what we're looking for um mm. yeah I I don't treat them any differently children come in my door and I I, I coach children only later on yeah. that there's differences that appear for me yeah, I think you've pretty much just hit the nail on the head, haven't you? I think actually just treating them equally, that there isn't a need to do anything other than to teach them judo, which we all love. There's no need to cheapen the sport, is there? I think, yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway. I think keeping it, keeping it as judo, it is difficult to get the comparisons between different coaches and, you know, men coaches, women coaches. I think just allowing girls to have the opportunity to experience judo and making sure that they're on the mat too. But yeah, no, Joe, I really appreciate the time that you've taken for me today. And I, you know, in, in the future, it'd be great to have you back on. But yeah, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. I could talk all day. <laughs> no, no worries. Thank you very much for inviting me on. And uh, I look forward to listening to the next, the next ones as they come out. And I want to say thank you to Joe and thank you to everybody listening uh, to the podcast. I think, you know, Joe made some really interesting points at the end there as well. Like we bang the drum for equality and we know Judo is an amazing product. So why, do, why shouldn't we? just sell judo why are we trying to soften it um just because it's for girls you know is are we preconditioned that should we be actively thinking well you know this is the 21st century are we doing girls injustice for for trying to do anything other than teach judo maybe maybe that's not happening maybe maybe coaches do just teach judo it's difficult isn't it i I don't know what everybody else does but it's interesting to have the conversation around it and and talk about it you know joe's so passionate and excited about judo and it, it really comes across and her judo experiences and what i i really think is is the openness to learn and to fail and you know discuss about those things and as coaches as judo judoka 
they're really important traits to have having those discussions about where do we feel insecure in our learning or development and yeah I, I, I just think it was it was a great example and hearing from Joe was really really important and what I've also done is um, in the links I put some articles that Joe's written for the IJF which are definitely worth a read um, they're, they're really good um, I want to thank everybody again for, for listening. This is episode four. We've got some excellent podcasts coming up as well. Um, with these podcasts, the thing that I ask is just if you enjoy it, can you share it? It makes a massive difference. Um, just sharing it, telling people about the podcast is really, really important. Um for the podcast to keep going really so yeah so if you don't mind doing that that'd be great uh don't forget you can check out uh all my blog stuff uh vinceskillcorn.co.uk and if you want to get in contact you can contact me on vince at vinceskillcorn.co.uk um or any sort of social media lots of you now just send me a message via instagram or um facebook that's fine any topics you want me to, to discuss talk about any information you want uh, let me know and let's hope we British Judo have released a to be confirmed roadmap which is positive in the fact that we've got an idea that we're going to open on the 12th um, so let's keep our fingers crossed that that goes ahead and yeah until next time stay safe and yeah speak to you all soon Judo talk, talk, judo talk.